graphic illustration to use for what we do when we connect with Jesus Christ and with each other. Even though that was a little puppy, and some of you are not dog people, I understand that, but I'm a dog person, so that dog matters. We got to go get it, but we have to go get people. 80,000 people, 40,000 Hilton Head, 40,000 in Bluffton. So what do we do about that? But I'm not really focused on the 80,000 right now. How about the members and regular attenders of Grace Church who are not connected to a life group, to a Bible study, to a group of people where you can get messy and you can share your needs and you can share your wants and you can share your your hurts. You might be one of those people. My name is Carl Martin and I enjoy working with the team here at Grace. And for the few moments that we have together today, I just want you to settle in and just think with me about where you are and what you're willing to do for God and with God. God wants you to have a deep connection with Him because you're valuable. From this side all the way across, you have so much to offer somebody else. And there's somebody around you that's not connected to God. They're not connected to His church or His community. And you think, well, I'm going to wait on Matthew to go get him. I'm going to wait on Steve to go get him. When really you are the powerhouse. You are the one that God has created and gifted being in this human case that you're in to go get them. They know who you are. They love who you are. They know you have wrinkles and they know you have warts, but you are a powerhouse when you give your heart to Christ and you go connect with somebody else who doesn't know him or is disconnected from him. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. It's a very familiar passage, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. Deep connection, what Jesus wants for us. You saw in that video, deep connection. Didn't it it feel good when the guy came running in and they showed him in the scene and they needed one more person and there's the guy. I want you to be the guy. I want you to be the girl. God's appointed you and he's using you and loving on you and set you up where you are to be that person that fills the gap so somebody else can get up the steep bank. And I'll be honest with you. You know, sometimes for those of us who have been raised in church, we think it's a really easy step from outside the kingdom of God, outside the local church into a small group, and it's not a real easy step. It's a steep bank, and it's tricky. And it takes persistence. It takes time. It takes work to get in to that close group. But when you get in close and you make a deep connection and you have a heartfelt connection with other people who know who you are and what you struggle with and how you deal with life and love you, in fact, even though you've got idiosyncrasies, it's an amazing part of the kingdom of God. So Acts chapter 42 is a very familiar passage to you, and I, when I shared it today, I was just thinking about some other famous 42s, because Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is a very famous passage for those of you who have been Christians a long time. Brittany Griner is a basketball player, was with Baylor University. Her number was 42. You may remember an NFL player named Pat Tillman, who was killed and is in the military and killed and very famous person from Arizona State University. His number was 42. Basketball players will remember Jerry Stackhouse, Brooklyn Nets, famous 42. Sean Avery, Detroit Red Wings, NHL. Ronnie Lott, 
San Francisco 49ers, long time ago, NFL. Mariana Rivera, New York Yankees, Major League Baseball, famous 42, and the most famous 42 athletically was Jackie Robinson from the 42. I really want this verse to stick in your mind as the most famous 42 that you ever had impact your life. I loved being at Clemson University. God changed my life there. For a little short, small guy who was not a very good athlete to make it at Clemson University and play on a team like that was an amazing experience for me personally. But the deep relationships I have with the men with whom I played is greater than that. We accomplished something. I didn't even share this at the early service. We accomplished something called winning the national championship together, and it galvanized our relationship. Well, you and I have something that's greater than winning the national championship, and that's just standing up for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to be aligned to him, and I want you to love him, and I want you to be connected to him. But many other theologians, a lot smarter than I, said if you're really a follower of Christ, you will be connected to the people of Christ, even though they're messy, even though they don't have it together. So I want everybody in here to really think seriously. As you're here today, as you're driving home, I don't want you to feel beaten up. I don't want you to feel pressured. I don't want you to feel guilted. I don't want you to feel obligated. I just want you to feel drawn to, drawn to, maybe that deep connection that holy God is reaching down saying, you know what? I've been tied up in my busy world. I've been tied up in my busy life. I've been doing some things that maybe I've been separated and isolated and just joined and not connected as deeply as I need to go. Maybe I need somebody in the community to be able to hold me together and help me stay together through the difficulty of the life that I have. Famous 42. Read it with me as I read. I'm going to read it out loud. You follow along with me, beginning at verse 42. And they, the apostles... And the early church, they devoted, circle the word devoted in your minds or at least somewhere in your Bible. The word devoted means to be fixed upon it and to stay so fixed upon it with tenacity. They tenaciously devoted themselves to these values, the apostles' teaching, which you learned last week, the word of God, to the fellowship. Write the word the before fellowship. This is the liturgical standard of the early church. They drilled down into the apostles' teaching, but they made a commitment totally to the fellowship, the koinonia. Paul uses the word fellowship all the time in his writings, but this is the only time that Luke ever used the word in Luke-Acts. The fellowship, the partnership, the connection, the closeness, the business the Father's business together. Then they said, to the breaking of the bread. And you know that's the Eucharist. You know that's communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. All of you are coming to Jesus from some background, possibly outside the church. You've heard of the Lord's supper. You've heard of the Lord's table, the breaking of the bread. And then to the prayers, the prayers. Jews would Go pray, obviously, 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and maybe slip one in in the evening sacrifice. But the early church was committed to these values. Then look at the results, and I'll read this and then I'll pray. Everyone was filled with awe of the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It's amazing results. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. 
And the Greek phrase means intermittently. Intermittently, they sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had a need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts in Solomon's colonnade. And they broke bread together. They experienced communion together. And then they ate their meals together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then the Lord did his thing. He multiplied and added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me pray for you. God, in the few moments that we have together, shape my words. This whole day is designed by you. Your word is the most powerful. This is an obvious, very understandable passage, Father. But I can't make people commit to it. And I don't want to make them. I want you to draw them. And I ask you to draw us to a deep, connected commitment to a group. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just mean that with all of my heart. So if you're sitting there feeling this morning like, okay, here we go again. I don't have time for a group. At Grace Church, we have groups. You can call the group a life group. You can call the group a Bible study. Sometimes there's a prayer group. But when Jesus came on the earth, he said, I want you to live this way. I want you to have a one-on-one relationship with me. And I want you to start with me. I want you to put me down as the anchor. And I want you to grow in me. And when you're growing together with me, the way you need to grow together with me after knowing me is to be connected to a group of people. So it's imperative that we know Christ intimately. But it's imperative that we grow together. In our world through COVID, I'm going to tell you through COVID and disconnectedness, I have close friends, close friends that I meet with on Thursday morning at 6 a.m. And several of them had said to me, we, we've been meeting for Zoom, for, on Zoom in that Bible study for five years or so, a long time, long time before Zoom came on or COVID because we live in different parts of the world, but we're devotedly committed to each other. But two of them have admitted they're not going to church regularly in a large group like this because they got out of the habit, but they crave it. Well, they're not wanting judgment from the group. They're just saying there's something that I need and something that I want from the one-on-many that I'm really not getting. Of course, they're getting the one-on-some, that group from our group. But Jesus, I promise you, wants you and me to align ourselves to him and where he is, even as our world gets darker. Our world's going to get darker and people are going to drift from the apostles' teaching. They're going to drift from the word of God. They're going to drift from being word-driven, but we can't drift from being word-driven. Can I get an amen there? We're not going to drift from that. You and I have to stay connected to the word of God. The word of God is the divine revealed truth of himself. Yes, it's the written word, and yes, Jesus is the living word. Oh, as I stand here today, I am so thankful just to be connected to you, even though Matthew cracks on my Clemson background, and I, I thought about bringing my coloring book so he could see the coloring book that I completed at Clemson when I got my degree. But I'm glad he wore his colors. I toned it down a little bit for you today and put on a little Duke blue for some of you people today. But I love what God's doing in and through your fellowship. But I must admit that it's imperative that every human being is connected to a small group. And I'm not the one that said it. Jesus is the one that said it. 
Jesus said it. Because he wants the best for you. So here's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants deep connection. Number one, Jesus wants you to filter your life through his word. Just like you learned last week that the word is paramount, as the disciples began to understand the, the feeling and the of the Holy Spirit that was in this new body and in Jerusalem when 3,000 people gave their hearts to Christ and Peter's feeling something new. He's like, I know I got the keys to the kingdom and I know I have the keys of authority. You said that, Jesus, when I confessed to you, but it felt really good when I stood up and there were thousands of people everywhere and, and they came to faith in you and we didn't quite know what to do with them. And then we started opening this house and we started opening that micro church. We started opening that house church. We started putting that small group together and all those 3,000 people started to experience deep, deep fellowship. And I want you to have that fellowship. Jesus wants you and me to filter our lives through his word. When they wrote down the apostles' teaching, you remember that the Didache was the first document that was written by the apostles. And the Didache, obviously, when Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and all the authors wrote, and it took time for the word of God to be put together and canonized together in our Bible that we have right now, there was a document that showed the way of death and the way of life. And it was the liturgy that the apostles used, the apostles' teaching, the Didache. And there was a way of life and there was a way of death. And they wrote down specifically what we should do. And what our brothers and sisters did 2,000 years ago, they made a devoted commitment to the apostles' teaching. They made a devoted commitment to fellowship and connection and koinonia. They made a devoted commitment to remembering Jesus Christ and celebrating him through the breaking of bread and to the prayers as they would go up to the temple as their place of witness, not just, their pl not just praying, not just a place of connection, but also a place of witness. And I want these values to be permeating in your life. There are two types of values you can have. There's aspirational values and their actual values. Aspirational values are when you and I get together and go, you know what, I've been in church a long time, and, and the Bible says that I should read the Bible, but I never read it. An aspirational value says, I really want to read the Bible. An actual value says, I read the Bible. An aspirational value says, you know what, I know I should give my money, but uh, an actual value is when you look at your checkbook and you actually give money away, and you give it to people. And you're free and you're generous. So you know the difference between aspirational values and actual values. Is connecting to somebody else an actual value for you? Do you want it? Are you willing just to change your schedule and fit in two hours through the week just so you can get deeper in connection with somebody else? I don't know. Again, no guilt's allowed. No obligation. Not twisting your arms, but just asking. When you look at your actual life and your actual way that you live and the actual way that you feel, are you missing something right now? And could it be that you got to drill down into the apostles' teaching and what Jesus said? Remember him? He's the one that said it when he walked out by the sea and he said, I want you and I want you and I want you and I want you and I want you. 
and you are a teenage fisherman, and you are a teenage fisherman, and you are a tax collector, but I want you, and I want you, and you don't speak very well, and you can't handle your life very well. And Jesus pulled this group of ragtag fishermen together into his little group of 12 people because he modeled what he wanted. He said what he wanted, but he modeled what he wanted. And I'm telling you, he's still saying what he really wants. And Jesus Christ wants you to experience deep connection. And deep connection comes when we filter our lives through his word and through his way. And we go, if Jesus did it, then I got to do it. If Jesus said it, I've got to do it. Now, in my house, it's my job to change the filters. And so I'm the one that climbs up the ladders. I don't get anybody else to do that. And I change the filters. And man, they are ugly. On vacation several weeks ago, it was my job to go to the store and buy the filters for the coffee pot. Now, in our family, we drink coffee. So whether it's a filter in an air conditioner or whether it's a filter in a coffee pot, and we have a nice little K-cup coffee pot that works real well, but we go on vacation, and the place where we stayed in the condo didn't have one of those. So what do they have? They have one of those old-time things called Mr. Coffee or something like that. I'm teasing I've used a many a one and drank a many a pot of coffee. But I bought the wrong filters. So when I bought the wrong filters, I've got coffee all over everywhere. It's on the counter. I'm wiping it up. Every time I have any coffee, why didn't I buy the right filter? It's critical that you and I, in this busy, dark, overwhelming world, sometimes settle down and go back and just take stock in our lives and say, wait a minute. What does Jesus really want? And what he wants is for us to recommit ourselves to the apostles' teaching, just like you learned last week. And if I do that, I've got to add another ingredient in there. When I look at my life and filter it out, and I say, Jesus, am I in control of my week, or are you in control of my week? Is my week modeling you, or am I telling you what I need done? Why am I so grumpy? I know, it's hard. When you set aside two hours to include the fellowship or to clean up your house or to fix the food or to get the food brought in, oh, that's extremely hard, but it's worthwhile. And I just want you to back up and I just want you to slow down to go, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm just missing a little bit of the deep connection that Jesus wants that starts with the high value of the apostles' teaching. And that apostles' teaching, which is brought in through a group of some style and some kind. I was reading this week about a guy named, you remember him. You may not recognize his name, but you've heard about the work he's done. His last name is Zinzendorf. His first name is Ludwig. You're going to say, Carl, I hadn't really been reading about Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf lately. But I started thinking about values, and I was thinking about the way he lived. He only lived 60 years of his life from 1700 to 1760. But God used him in a tremendous way, just an ordinary person, supposedly, born into royalty, had a title. Maybe you don't have a title. Maybe you haven't been born into royalty. But his heart was passionate for Jesus. Out of his group, small church, maybe 500 people at the most, they sent 70 missionaries to different places in the world. And this is some of the values that he wrote down and still live to this day. I really care about your values. I care about you and my values modeling Jesus. Listen to what he said. Some of my values are 
preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I have one passion. It is He and only He, Jesus. I am destined to proclaim the message, unmindful of personal consequences to myself. This is a real person, real person who lived a real life for 60 years. He said this, missions after all is simply this. Every heart with Christ is a missionary. Every heart without Christ is a mission field. Amen to that? The last comment that he made, there can be no Christianity without community. There can be no Christianity without community. As I grow older and older and older again, I have to turn off all those videos that I see constantly on X or on Instagram or on Facebook of animals that are on the edge of the herd that people like to show videos that are attacked by a lion. I turn them off because I don't like to see anything, anybody else disconnected, not united with the herd. May I ask that about you? I don't know you, but I can tell you I care about you because you have been built to be a human being and human beings need connectivity and they need community and God wants to shape you. Just the apostles' teaching is not enough. The Word is powerful. You know how I love the Word. And the Word of God is dynamic. And the Word of God is what we need to change us. But the Word of God, the apostles' teaching, placed into the fellowship is the way that God designed it. And I want you to be in one of those fellowships. A Christian without community is on the edge of the herd. And you're going to crash. And I don't want you to crash. Let me show you something else. Jesus wants us also to crave being with his family. I'm using that terminology when I put the word the fellowship there because I want to say something specifically about the family. If I am isolated, if I'm over to the edge, if I'm on the edge of the herd and I'm not a part of the family, I've got to remember it's, it's hard to step into the family. It's hard for me to step in. It's hard for me to go there. I've been out so long. I've been away for so long, but I want to go in. I, some of you are isolated. Some of you are disconnected. Some of you are disenfranchised. Some of you are outside. Some of you are not trusting of somebody. Okay, I understand that. I understand that. It's hard to open up when you really feel like a failure. I had a friend named Mike Patterson. He was driving one day in D.C., right outside of, in the Baltimore, D.C. area. And you know how you've been there. You just get so lost. And he was lost. And he had his mom in the car. And they were going around and round and round in the city. And he was so frustrated that he pulled off the side of the road and he just let that frustration out. And I don't know what he said. I wasn't in the car, but he let it out. And his mom says in those classic words, Are you lost? I love his answer. He said, No, Mama, I'm not lost. I'm sitting in the car. The car is lost, Mom. <laughs> or I'll never forget going to a baseball game in Atlanta like y'all are going to see... Um, Savannah team play. We were, true story, we were on a bus in a former church that I pastor. We put a group of men together. We're going to the baseball game. And so we get this tour bus and we get this guy that I thought was a professional driver. I'm the pastor now. And we got 40-something people on the bus and we're driving from Pickens, South Carolina all the way to Atlanta. And we got a guy and, and, and he's driving the bus and we get to the edge of Atlanta near the old Turner Field and he's going around and around in circles. Seriously. 
And I'm standing up at the front of the bus, and I'm thinking, we got a problem here. And I saw this guy in frustration put his hands over the wheels, and I said, can I help you? He said, yeah, I can see the stadium over there. I don't quite know how to go to the stadium. And I sat there, okay, Carl, it's time for me to lead this boy how to get there. I'm not a bus driver, and I'm not from Atlanta, but we got 47 guys that want to see that baseball game. And I had to calmly get that guy to the stadium. It was amazing. Can I tell you this morning, in the same way that I slipped up to that guy, it's the same way I feel about you. Whether it's a life group leader training or whether you want to call me on the phone, I don't care. If you're disconnected, you've got Matthew, you've got Steve, you've got Susie, you've got Charlene, you've got Seth, and I can go down a list of elders and I can go down a list of deacons because you've allowed me to work with you. I know real people who care about Jesus and care about you and care about community, and they know you crave a family. Jesus, Jesus wants you and me to filter life through his word. Jesus wants us to crave being with his family. And at Grace, here's the kind of family you have. In your human family, you can say what you really feel. In your human family, you're accepted with your warts. In your human family, you spend time together. But let me tell you what happens in Jesus' family right here. In Jesus' family, you're allowed to share your stuff. In Jesus' family, we share our food. In Jesus' family, we share our money. In Jesus' family, we share our hearts. And in Jesus' family, we share ourselves. I just want you to step in. If you're outside the group, if you're isolated and hurting, step in. Jesus wants you. Filter everything through the word. Crave his family. Let me show you something else. Look there in verse 42, the breaking of bread. Now, some people are confused about the breaking of bread and whether they ate together and what does it mean. And I'm telling you, you, you remember the agape feast when the people of God years ago would gather together, eat their food, and also share the Lord's Supper. Keep it simple like that. But why did they say the breaking of the bread, then they ate together? Let's just go ahead and call it the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's communion, the Eucharist. Even the greatest theologians of all time, Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, could not, and the Pope could not get together on what it means. Let me simplify it for you. Honestly, let me simplify it for you. The disciples missed Jesus. They were with him. He walked into their room. He walked out of the room in human body and phenomenal miracles. He would just show up in his resurrected body. He was with them. They craved. Jesus wants you to hunger for his presence. That's what matters most. Sometimes we just can't get things in order. We always major on the minors. And let me, I'll be honest with you. It matters to me that we interpret Scripture correctly and that, hey, the Lord's Supper does not add to your salvation. I need to tell you that. It does not. It is a representation, an order that Jesus gave us, and we have to share together in it, the breaking of bread. But when we do, I just want you to remember whether it's here gathered or whether it's in a small group, just hungering for his presence. One of my greatest authors of all time, whose book was put together after he was dead, but you, you know him as Brother Lawrence, but the practice of the presence of God. In college, 
while I was on the football team, I read the classic, and I'm telling you, I never got over the practice of the presence of God. The greatest thing that we have, the greatest entity that we have, is the presence of Jesus manifested in our lives. And there are people out there that you and I, we got to get down the hill. We got to get down there. We got to crawl across the fence. We got to do whatever it takes to get down to help the people who are swayed by the stream that's taking them places they really don't want to go. And they're stuck just like that little puppy dog, and they're looking around like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Would somebody come and help me? And instead of trying to beat them up, instead of trying to fuss at them, why don't we just crawl down the, the bankman and go get them and carry them and pick them up, and we can do that together. And we do that together by basing our lives solidly upon the apostles' teaching and what Jesus said. Solidly by recommitting to his fellowship, the fellowship, and also by hungering for his presence. Can I just encourage you? God, more than anything else, I want to encourage you that when you're out every day and you're living your life, and you think you don't matter, and you think you've got to go to seminary, and you think you've got to be all this, when you go out and you carry a smile, when you walk out and you care for somebody, when you walk out in their world and you listen to them, and you love them right where they are, you're taking the presence of Jesus to somebody who's lonely. And you're doing the greatest work that could ever be done. And when you invite them to come to your home during the middle of the week, whether they come or not, you're doing the work of Jesus. Because something wonderful happens when you walk one-on-one with Jesus. Something wonderful happens when you gather in a small group of people and it gets messy and it gets deep and you share stuff and you love each other and you cry on each other and you just mess up and your makeup goes everywhere and you don't really know and you walk out feeling like, wow, man, I shared too much. Something beautiful happens when you live life together intentionally like that, growing together, knowing just something happens when that happens. Let me just give you one more, and I'm going to wrap up. I want you to hunger for his presence, and I want you to crave his family, and I want you to filter your life through his word. But one last thing I want you to do is I want you to go in his name. You may not be called to go on a mission trip. Last week I was in Guyana, South America, training pastors who, get this, you've got to get this. There have been 30,000 people in Guyana, South America, saved through this one ministry in the last 17 years. And what's happening in the villages from Georgetown, Guyana, people are in the villages deep in the jungle beginning to respond to Jesus, but they have no pastors. And one of my friends came to me and said, Hey, dude. Would you go down to Guyana and train these pastors? Some of them can't read. And some of them can't write. And then in America, you get caught up on whether somebody's male or female and being a pastor or whatever. And down there, they say, we've got some villages that don't even have a male because they're all working in the villages. Excuse me, they're all working in the gold mines and there's nobody but women there. And some of the women are rising up and they need some leadership too. I got to tell you, I said yes about 18 months ago. 
And it's been thrilling. I just went through the book of Ephesians with them. And we're sitting in a circle. And it's hot. And there's no fans. Only when it rains. And we're deep in the jungle. And I got to tell you, it's thrilling. And it's thrilling because we're doing the basics. And I think that's what we have to do together. Is just keep doing the basics. Going in his name. This is why I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> Not because of where I'm going and what we're doing. Because riding in, in the boat with 12 people, five hours deep in the jungle of Guyana. I looked over to my right and there was a small boat with a 15 horsepower motor. It was pouring down rain like you would not believe. And we're trudging down the river probably 35 miles an hour. And this little boat is stuck, really, on the side of the river. And we stop our boat and go back to where they are and they're holding up a a piece of plastic as they're holding their little dugout canoe. I mean, it's just barely above the water and it's got a 15 Yamaha motor on it and they're puttering three of them. Three of them. Holding up after the rain. And I looked at them and I thought we were stopping to pick them up to help them because they were broken down. And they looked back at me and said, we are three pastors going to the training. Yeah. That doesn't mention the ones that came 11 hours sitting on the top of a, when I say dugout canoe, I mean a dugout canoe for 11 hours, four inches or just a few inches below the, above the water line. How do you sit still like that? So men and women, I need to tell you, when I circle the word devoted, that I'm fixed on something and tenaciously going. There are people all over the world that understand what devoted means, and I don't really know what devoted means. I'm going home to a loving wife and a good house. It's got air conditioning. I don't know what devoted is. But I believe somehow together, if where we are with what we're doing, we will remind ourselves and recommit ourselves, all of us together, to doing the basics well, God will change America through us starting today. And that's what I want to happen. Amen? We don't have to dream about it. We can start doing it. Drilling down the apostles' teaching. Gathering together as family. Hungering for his presence and going in his name. Pray with me. I'm praying for you right now as Seth and the team come. They're going to wrap up with a reflection song. But this, this, this time right now is a reflection time for you. Please try not to think about anybody else. Try just to focus upon your schedule, your life, your hunger. If you're way outside the body of Christ and you're fearful from stepping in, please don't be afraid. Grace Church will extend grace to you and be your friend. Guaranteed. If you need to know what it means to trust Christ, if you need to know how to connect, I, I just, as I think about you, don't stay isolated alone in the middle of the stream that's taking you where you don't want to go. Let somebody grab you. Let somebody love you. Let somebody pull you in. Let somebody hold you. Let somebody take you where God wants you to go. One last thought. For those of you who have led 
hosted, co-facilitated. If today the Holy Spirit of God grips your heart and says, it's time for you to lead another group, no guilt is allowed, no obligation. All I'm asking for you to do is think about it. Is this something God wants me to do? I don't care if you start with one. I don't care if you start with three. It doesn't matter. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you to say, I'll open my home. I'll lead a group. I need some help to get one started. Whatever you need. This is your time. Just say yes. Just say yes. Father, I pray for a lot of yeses. I pray for a lot of people just responding to what you say and what you have done as you draw them to yourself. Thank you for a beautiful church. Thank you for a wonderful group of people. Thank you for an opportunity to share your word. And I pray through the power of your spirit that you help us all, me included, devote myself, devote ourselves to what you have told us to be devoted to. We love you, Jesus. We bless you. And I pray in your name. Amen.